Hello and welcome to DigFinVox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you enjoy the program, please support it by giving us a like. My guest today is Amber Huang, managing partner at Amber Group, a privately held crypto company that has expanded from institutional-only business into the retail space. I spoke with Annabelle about Amber's incredible valuation, how it plans to expand, and what that says about the state of the crypto business today. Annabelle Huang, welcome to DigFinbox. Thank you, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, so you're managing partner at Amber Group in Singapore. Uh, Tomasek recently led a Series B round, $100 million, valuing the company at about $3 billion. Uh, massive increase in valuation. You've gone from unicorn to trio-corn. What, what explains that huge rapid increase in valuation? Well, I think, uh, first of all, it's just a booming crypto market. So, of course, a bit of the market beta, so to speak. But I think for us, we're continuing to build our offering globally. Um, and I think growing beyond um, a crypto finance platform, but also incubating different projects in DeFi, in NFT slash um, Web3 space. Um, and so I think, um, fortunately, a lot of the investors also saw the, the potential in us. Um, and of course, with the strong backing, we're going to continue to expand um, in different regions and also in, in the services we offer. What is the story there? You began, the group before you joined began uh, about four years ago as just a prop trading structured products group for institutions, hedge funds and the like. Uh, now you've got a much broader footprint. Uh, What's driving that expansion? Why do you not want to just stay in your, your niche where you've got that expertise? It's interesting. I think a lot of the growth happened organically, at least in the beginning. Um, so when we started off, uh, it was a 2017 bull market. And of course, with the most of us background in trading, then the first foray or the first natural point of entry to this market is also starting with, with trading. But then as we get to know more players in, in this industry, they, they have a lot of needs to be serviced um, in terms of uh, planning their, uh, hedging their own portfolio or having a lot of liquidity needs. Uh, then we became a natural counterparty to step in and to start uh, trading or working with them. Um, so we thought, why not build it into an institutional desk uh, with, with, the, with the offerings? Mm -hmm. uh, since we already have liquidity connection and, and all of that financial engineering capability in the background. Then, then I think we started to think about it in a more systematic way, thinking about, okay, our first growth engine, right, is our core business or the institutional business, then where is the second growth uh, curve coming from? Um, and I think it also at that time, um, we, we started seeing uh, there are a lot of individual needs to get into crypto as well. And I think they struggle a bit with the right platform to, to go to. Um, maybe in the US you have Coinbase, but what about the rest of the world? What about Asia? What about Latin America? What about Europe? Um, or even a lot of the Southeast, uh, Southeast Asia countries or emerging markets that are underbanked or underserved. Um, so we do see an opportunity and I think we have the right 
um, engineering the right tech stack, um, even willing to commit to the right, uh, building the right reg stack to make that happen. Uh, so of course, it's, it's a challenge for us, right? We, we never had that background in the individual or consumer space, but um, we were very committed and, and um, went for it. Your background, uh, you've been a FX and uh, trading uh, person at places like Nomura and Deutsche Bank. The group itself was founded by ex-Morgan Stanley uh, people, uh, again, structured products and fixed income and currency. Uh, what's different about serving institutional clients in this growing crypto space than in the traditional finance space? I would say, well, the, the definition of institution within a crypto space also evolved. Mm -hmm. uh, in the beginning, it was probably um, a lot of the token projects themselves, the, the miners themselves who have exposure uh, to crypto. Uh, but now we're talking about very similar players as in traditional finance, the hedge funds, a lot of family offices as well. So it, it's quite interesting to see that transition as well. Um, and, and for us, I think because um, we, we had that background um, in the more traditional finance um, institution um, experience, so we knew how to uh, deal with um, the, the TradFi institutions, um, the kind of services they're used to and what they might need, um, sort of the, the, the same match within crypto. Um, so that was actually actually very easy to understand and we, we sort of speak the same language so it's, it's easy to explain as well. Um, what, what, what is that need in crypto though? Because you know in, in TradFi even though there's a lot of uh, firms that are just hedging positions and, and making speculative bets right uh, on, on something they're still making a bet at the end of the day on a company or on or on the company's ability to pay a, a debt uh, and you know, so there's something to analyze there. There's some sort of revenue stream. There's some kind of business, or it's a government that is 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 backing a, a bond or something. In crypto, you don't have anything like that. You've got digital assets, which are a form of property, um, and their valuation go up and down. But who knows why? Uh, you, you know. So what is it that the clients coming to to you in the crypto space? What are they looking to achieve that's different than what they would be doing in traditional markets? I would say it's similar. So they're, um, say, hedge funds, right? They're just treating uh, crypto, mostly the majors, as um, alternative asset class. So they're, they're trading equities, they're trading fixed income, and now they're trading crypto because there are potentially higher, uh, higher profitability for them. Mm -hmm. um, and for the family offices, they view crypto as another uh, alternative form of yield product. So, you know, maybe they are overexposed to the equity side or they've done private um, equity investments and now they're looking for what's next um, or instead of cash what else they want to diversify into um, so I, I think they they all have different uh, needs um, and what we offer is um, crypto is our specialty right so we offer basically anything they want to do within the crypto space and going forward hopefully even be expanding beyond that uh, because I think either the crypto native crowd um, and also you know of course the, the traditional finance crowd I think uh, a lot of the needs are going to converge and then become where, where can I find one platform where I can trade everything and manage my entire portfolio. 
What do you think will drive that convergence? Will it be securitization and creating, um, I guess, tokenized, tokenized forms of digital securities, or will it be some other driver? I think potentially, if it's a tech-driven solution, then maybe uh, tokenized stocks or tokenized bonds will make more sense. So that it's all built upon uh, the same open infrastructure that blockchain offers. Uh, but I think unfortunately, right, a lot of times it's still very much so regulatory and compliance driven. So from that perspective, maybe it, it is the crypto native platforms like ourselves um, getting the same um, regulatory stack as a lot of the traditional players and being able to offer it ourselves or vice versa. We've already seen a lot of um, the traditional players also getting to crypto uh, mm -hmm. outside of the, the banks, whatnot, and a lot of the new banks, right? The, the web two fintech startups, or I guess they're not startup anymore. A lot of them um, are public listed already and we've seen a tremendous growth in the last 10 years. So they also want to uh, start offering in crypto. Um, so I, I do expect to see a lot of convergence in services there. One area that is always still uh, an issue for many institutions is regulation in terms of being able to get into this space. Um, some probably would like to see some change in regulation so they can do it. Others maybe fear that. Um, what is the, do you have a particular area, a market in mind where you see the most progress or areas where you would expect to see the most movement as regulation changes? Um, it's an interesting question because I think um, all the regulators say um, they're all very different, mm -hmm. uh, but they all came from the same, um, they also have the same ethos where they want to protect consumers, right? And I think that's something that we can all agree on. Uh, but right now, I think, unfortunately, in some parts of the world, maybe they just needed a bit more time to, to figure out how best to regulate it. So now we still lack um, clarity to some extent. Um, and also because it's, it's very uh, fragmented, of course, you, you have to apply for different sets of uh, licenses um, in different jurisdictions. So it can be very time consuming for um, incumbent players. Um, but one thing, and also that's also what, why we are here in Singapore is that I think uh, out, of, out of the developed market regulators, um, MIS and Monetary Authority of Singapore has been very progressive. Um, and our no, latest round, B plus round is backed by Tomasic, the sovereign wealth fund in Singapore. So I think that really shows their stance. What, yeah, what, tell us a little bit about that, because you guys started off based operationally in Hong Kong. Last year you moved. Was the Tomasek uh, coming in part of some sort of um, agreement or uh, decision to work more closely in the Singapore environment and they therefore wanted to support you, or is it unrelated to that move? I would say it's a lot of factors. Um, for us, uh, Hong Kong, of course, is, is a great market and we still have uh, a team there, but um, just judging from the regulatory environment, um, and especially with what happened last year with China, I think a lot of people started to think about, okay, you know, where, where should we really base our operations? Um, and China where Bitcoin trading. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so that was a bit of a shock to the industry to say the least. And, um, although, you know, for someone who is born and raised in China, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm entirely surprised. Um, it's, you know, it is, uh, um, it, it is 
well, the signs all over the walls. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the, just me speculating, but I, I think the Chinese government wants to maintain control over its own money and they, they viewed uh, crypto as, as, a, as a rival. That's one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, uh, of course, a strong push for the CBDCs in China, the DSEP. And then I think on the other hand, right, they also uh, want to have a stronger um, stance towards other types of digital payment or digital currencies. Um, and then at the same time, I think in contrast, then the MS showed um, their progressiveness in actually uh, putting out the crypto related regulatory framework under their payment services act and um, really become, has been very welcoming to a lot of the crypto startups or crypto firms. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I think for us, uh, it just made sense. And then, um, of course, now with domestic, then uh, really brought more credibility, hopefully, to us being here. What is the longer term prospect for crypto if, let's say, several of the world's most powerful governments decide to push their own, whether it's a CBDC or perhaps they just uh, decide to regulate a stable coin that they trust more like a bank um, is there then going to be a need for a lot of what's happening? You know, what will be the use case for, for crypto if that comes about? It's interesting. So I think of um, CBDC as uh, a digital version of what you carry uh, in your wallet. So instead of carrying cash, you have government-issued digital cash, so to speak, mm -hmm. or digital currency. And, and that's inherently very different from having Bitcoin in, in your wallet. Um, so just as cash and Bitcoin and crypto can coexist, and it has been in the last uh, few years, um, I think CBDC really replaces the circulating physical cash, um, but it is not um, the same uh, in characteristic as the, the cryptocurrencies. And but it might the same, it, you know, for example, Rush. Yeah, I was going to if you talk about Web three or Metaverse stuff, I mean. You, you could you could pay for things using a crypto, but you could also then start to pay for it using a digital sure, sure. or a digital dollar or whatever. Yeah. yeah, so that's just, you know, kind of the proposition for having a digital um, form of payment, right? But if we look at what's going on, you know, a lot of times when there's sovereign crisis or what's going on in, in Russia or Ukraine, and uh, if people cannot withdraw the ruble either in physical forms or in digital forms, then you know they don't have access to to money but they can still uh, use their bitcoin so i think you know that is perhaps an example let's talk about the shift from institutional to retail uh you guys have a product called whale fin which is i guess your your digital asset management wealth management platform if i if i got that right um what are the coming from an institutional background where you're dealing with complex products structured products for people that are supposed to understand these or be accredited to, to use these products. Now you're going into a, a mass retail game. Are the same tools appropriate for these investors or how do you have to kind of change what you offer to them? Yeah, so the offering is quite different. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, I think in most of the consumers, um, they want something that's easy to use um, and simple and almost sort of pre-packaged standardized uh, offerings uh, in for institutions and some of the, the high net worth 
our family offices, a lot of times solutions are customized to whatever it is they need. But on the consumer side, we tend to put out um, easier to use, simple to use, uh, standardized offerings uh, so they can quickly um, buy Bitcoin and, and then um, hold in the wallet and spend it later, et cetera. Um, so so it, it is different. Uh, and we're looking at maybe uh, packaging some of the structured products into um, easier to understand or, or one click to subscribe uh, products for them. Of course, uh, giving out um, enough sort of uh, user education first um, and offering it in the compliant regions. Um, but I, I think with crypto, there, there are a lot more interesting features we can add um, to the Wealthin platform. So uh, adding a lot of the gamified elements. So similar to um, how Robinhood made stock trading fun, right? We also wanna make um, crypto finance um, easy and also engaging. There's some criticisms around that Robinhood model that gamification is just a way to basically create a casino-like atmosphere uh, and that you know we're betting gambling rather than you know investing in in something that has some kind of long-term value. Um, you know, how do you deal with that question? You know, ethically and also in terms of your with your stakeholders or regulators. Yeah, for sure. So I think it it it, de it depends on on the product that the platform is offering, right? So Robinhood made um, investment easy that, you know, maybe teenagers, uh, for them, they, they can also start using it. But uh, the online platform, a lot of it is around trading or even options trading with leverages, uh, which could be dangerous if not managed properly. Um, the way that we want to gamify is, um, it's not really centered around crypto trading because after all, we're a wealth management platform. We want our users to grow their wealth with us over the long term and not really kind of treating it as a uh, casino, as you mentioned, right? Maybe unlike the other more exchange-based models. Um, and a lot of gamified options would be centered around um, our other um, new features, such as um, earning carbon credits or um, earning NFTs uh, for your activity. So it's not necessarily rewarding you based on how much you trade and incentivizing you to really take on the risk that you cannot stomach. Two, two things there you talked about. Uh, one was carbon credit, the other was NFT. Um, let's start with the NFT. Uh, the market overall for NFTs has been cratering. Um, valuations are, are, are dropping. What, what's happening? Um, I think, well, it's sort of a market cyclicalities with the word, um, the different cycles that we are entering, <laughs> cyclicality, yes. There is a bit of, uh, I think it's, more it's quieter now compared to where we were. Um, the entire market felt the, uh, felt the same way, and of course there were a lot of hype around uh, NFT. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that all of it, um, all of that um, JPEGs is worth um, millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so it is expected. Um, it's similar to maybe back in twenty seventeen, right? Um, there was an initial bull run, and then when the market crashed, of course, uh, the altcoins dropped uh, the most. Uh, so I think we're just entering a new era, but I think different than a lot of the, the ICO era tokens. Um, I do think there will be uh, a portion of these NFT projects that are building towards um, something with real value 
letting. Yeah, I'd be curious what, like, where, where do you see that going? Because I, 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 on the one hand, I, I like the idea that you're talking about, you know, NFT is just a fancy jargony word for basically something that's got unique characteristics. And you could think of in the financial world, you know, a derivative has unique characteristics. It's not like another one or a bond issued by one by company A is not the same as a, another bond also issued by company A, right? Different coupon or whatever. Um, at the same time, though, it seems like the whole thing's been hijacked by this meme craze. <laughs> and um, I, I know people like memes and they're fun, but, you know, we're talking about people's life savings sometimes going up in smoke. So um, what is the what is the use case for NFTs? It depends, right? I think NFT is is actually a, a technology rather than an asset class. So exactly like you said, right? It's just used for things that are non-fungible that are not identical. Um, and you can use it in so many different ways. Uh, what's popular now, um, you know, again, I don't know how much value is in there, but if you look at um, in terms of uh, even taking carbon credits as a Example, right? If we can make it into um, token-based formats, um, then is it going to be faster or cheaper? Or um, so I think it's it's same as the underlying blockchain tech. It's just another way to denominate things that are non-fungible uh, versus Bitcoin, Ethereum's of the world. Um, and then for use cases, um, then I think that maybe we we talk about uh, Web three or metaverse. Then if every you think everything's going to be on chain or everything's going to move um, into the Web3 world, then yeah, NFT is just another way to express everything that, um, that you own, different items that you have uh, versus the, you know, the fungible sort of cash-like um, portfolio that you have or um, equities of the world. That, that Web3, do you have a sense of differentiation in terms of how your institutional clients think about it or talk about it, if they do, uh, versus uh, the consumers? Well, I guess it depends, right? So if you're talking about play to earn or action to earn, the consumers are drawn to the earn parts of it and then they, they want to participate or they want to find a community. Uh, for the institutional players, I think they're looking from more of an investing point of view. So thinking about, okay, what what is it? mean um, they probably have seen uh, a lot of the companies building um, games or, or, or virtual AR VR in the in the web 2 sense and they're thinking okay where's the value in bringing it onto web 3 and how what's comparable there is there a, a social benefit uh, to essentially financializing things like games or other aspects of life that were not necessarily financialized before I think so um, for me, I think I'm excited about um, what we can do with data. So mm -hmm. right now we all give it out for free, right? We take all of the, accept all, and we never read the terms of services. And uh, we don't really have control over um, the data that's been collected on from us. Uh, but I think in the Web3 world, there, there will be a way for us to, man to monetize that directly, um, or at least take full control of that. Yeah. Um, so it could be, it, data could become a very interesting um, asset class. The big elephant in the room when it comes to crypto markets uh, are the stable coins, in particular Tether, which has some uh, reputational and regulatory problems. Um, you know, they, they have lied about their um, 
their their assets backing uh, that stablecoin. Yet it's massive. I mean, it fuels so much. It, you know, it greases the wheels in so many exchanges and so on. How do you talk to your clients about uh, about that? Um, so I think for it used to be very popular in Asia because I think most of the U.S.-based clients they they just default to say USDC. And it's very easy with your, your US banking rail and all of that to exchange one-to-one. But for a lot of my clients in Asia, then it's difficult for them to access the dollar world. So, um, and USDT being the first mover is very liquid uh, here in Asia. So they just default to that and that always become, almost become a habit. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there's that interesting dynamic, but I think now, um, I would say a lot of the Chinese-based players have moved overseas or maybe stopped uh, being involved in crypto. So perhaps that dynamic is a little different now. Um, and and for me personally, I would always explain to my clients the, the different intricacies between USDC versus um, USDC and, and Paxo or I guess USDP um, and the rest of the stable coins um, because they can see that there's a pricing difference. So on our platform, uh, USDC of the likes is always one-to-one interchangeable with uh, USD fiat, but USDT because there's a market price, right? It's not always one-to-one, uh, usually, usually between 10, 20 basis points. Um, but there are extreme cases where it had dropped uh, and we've all seen that. Uh, there were, were a lot of, uh, I feel like every once in a while there's a tether fud and you'll, you'll see that. Um, so, so yeah. Okay. You guys are talking about doing an IPO for the business. Where are you with that? Well, it's uh, still in the works, I would say. Um, it's something that uh, I think, you know, we, we chose the more traditional VC uh, funding route. So, you know, from our series A all the way to B plus and um, with plans uh, to eventually uh, go IPO in the U.S. Um, timing wise, you know, I, I think we're, we're still... Uh, thinking about it, but uh, at the same time, getting getting ready for audits uh, and everything else. Do you see a prospect for you're a crypto company um, and you help your clients in all things uh, with with cryptocurrencies and digital tokens? Do you see a prospect for your IPO being in digital form? That is that is interesting. I think that would actually really drive it home. But I think right now we've seen um, the. The Coinbase right, being the miles, uh, Coinbase IPO being a milestone for the industry. Um, I think there were chatters about them eventually launching their own token coin. Um, and for us, I think what we're focusing on is um, is more maybe potentially right uh, having our own token for our NFT efforts or any or other things, uh, not necessarily uh, on the Ember Group level ourselves. Last question, uh, Annabelle, and thank you for your time today, is what's the thing about 2022 that you're most excited about? Uh, me personally, I think um, I think on this wave of incredible adoption we've seen over the last two years, there will be a lot more players, both the consumer side and institutional side coming into the space. Um, and what we uh, are building at Amber Group, uh, again, not just crypto finance offerings, but incubating different projects within DeFi and NFT uh, space. Um, and within an NFT space, you know, there are just so much 
more um, room uh, to innovate. So maybe it's blockchain-based gaming. Maybe it is building virtual worlds, virtual characters, uh, and collaborating with um, the different IPs of the world.、Um, I think that is what excites me most. And I hear at Ember Group side, we'll have、uh, a few,、uh, I would say, exciting news coming up as well later this year. Okay, good stuff. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you.